special edition of Trinity College Dublin Talks. This edition is about keeping New Year's resolutions. I'm Tom Malloy, and with me today, on the cusp of a new year, are Professor Ian Rod, Professor Johanna Ivers, and Michelle Tanner. We will spend the next 40 minutes or so exploring how much does willpower play a part or not in new, new resolutions, and what are the other environmental factors or tools in life that you can use to give yourself a better chance of succeeding when it comes to making changes for the better. Michelle Tanner is the head of sport and recreation here in Trinity and sits on the board of Sport Ireland. Her work includes the strategic development of 67 acres of outdoor sports facilities and 13,000 square meters of indoor sports facilities. She's currently a member of the World University Sports Federation and was the first Irish and indeed first female president of the European Network of Academic Sports Services. She's also a former international volleyball player with the Irish senior team. Ian Robertson is a professor of psychology and the founding director of the Trinity College Institute of Neuroscience. He's published over 250 scientific articles in leading journals and contributes to public communication and the understanding of science in many forums. Joanna Ivers is assistant professor in addiction studies in the School of Medicine here in Trinity. Her research interests include addiction, recovery, neurophysiological functioning and homelessness. He's been appointed to several committees, including the Minister for Higher Education Rapid Response Group for Drug Use and Higher Education. She was a consultant in the National Drug Strategy. And here in Trinity, she's a course co coordinator of the Masters in Addiction Recovery and leads the Addiction Research Group at the Department of Public Health and Primary Care. Well, welcome to you all and, and Happy New Year. Most resolutions are about either starting to do something such as studying harder or exercise, or giving up something such as smoking or, or excessive social media usage. I wonder, do we need different approaches for each of these decisions, the decision to give up something or the decision to, to start something? Joanna, you studied addiction in many forms. Do you think the mindset and techniques are very different in, with both kind of aims in, in mind? No, I don't. I think that people, you know, and just to use maybe alcohol as an example, but people take a drink to either start to feel something or to stop feeling something, like you say. So it might be to start uh, relaxing or stop being stressed. And they're actually the same reasons that people want to stop using, uh, which is either, you know, to stop feeling something or to start feeling something. And I think there's many lessons we can take from people who, you know, give up any habit. Um, and I think what the science would tell us is that um, having a buddy, being having a peer that wants to kind of do, make a change at the same time is a very effective way to make a change um, environmentally. Being engaged with your community or civically engaged is another uh, factor that might influence you giving up something and sustaining that change. What would be an example there, Joanna, when you say being engaged with your community, how, how might that work in practice? So that can work in either just engaging in something that's available in your community, like a running club or a faith-based organisation, or it can be, you know, getting behind a community drive to make your community better. But what we know is that when people connect with people and when they connect with meaning in their own life and that in the lives of their family and community and society, they tend to be able to sustain any kind of change that they make. 
in my area, I tend to focus on addiction, but they are examples. And that's, you know, something that we can take from science across the board in terms of um, building in factors or what we refer to as recovery capital. Um, so having factors in your life that will support you and sustain you in 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 that change. Ian, is, is that how you see it as well, that you're, you're best off telling other people when you make a resolution to, to kind of build in that social capital? Big time. There's two things that Joanna said that are really important. One is, just, uh, well, there's three things. Pre-commitment, this idea of telling people in advance that you're going to do something makes it more likely you will do it. That's the data. The second thing, feeling you're connected with someone else with a common purpose. That's incredibly important. The third thing said was having this sense of meaning or purpose. And that's a huge um, element of sustaining resolutions is embedding them in something bigger than yourself. Um, and th now that's that's a job of work to do to, to do to get that. So um, we can talk about that later. But but um, the whole the whole sense of um, self-esteem that comes from achieving behavior change from, you know, carrying out your resolution. If it's embedded in your values, if you really take time to to say, well, wh why am I doing this? And, you know, what, what am I aiming for? Um, and again, that's often a social purpose. You know, I'm contributing to a community or to a group or a team. That's incredibly sustaining. So can we can we sit with that for, for a minute, though? Let, let's say um, I decide that I'm giving up uh, Instagram for for the new year. How, how, how might I do that? How might I embed that in a, in, in a kind of a greater purpose and just giving up a, a thing that I worry wastes my time, say, and, and rots my brain? Hmm. That's a great question. So I think um, if, if, you're, if your New Year resolution was, I think I'm going to give up Instagram because it's eating into my time, I think that resolution would have a, 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 you know, would, would easily corrode and diminish over time pretty soon in the new year. I think if you said, look, um, I really, really, I, I've decided I want to, for instance, study medicine. I'm not doing medicine just now, but um, I've suddenly realized that I've got a vocation. That's, that's what I want to do or study social work or or uh, I, I want to retrain as a software program. Something some bigger, some bigger aim for yourself that feels somehow meaningful. And then you say, well, but that's the kind of fantasy, if you like. God, I'd love to I'd love to do that. And that fantasies are energizing. They kind of make you lift your mood and and kind of incline you to act but but you have to follow them up with very practical plans and um and so you then say well how am i how am i going to achieve this goal well i have to first of all i have to get my degree or you know or some other intermediate steps how am i going to do that what are the steps for doing that well i'm going to have to study a bit more than i have been perhaps I'm going to have to be socialized a bit less. Oh, and yeah, there's Instagram. How much time am I using on Instagram? Maybe actually, if I want to achieve that bigger goal in my life, maybe actually I'm going to have to, uh, okay, one of my sub-resolutions is to 
to cut my Instagram use in half, for instance. And you, then you're in the business of your smaller inter goal is embedded in a bigger, more meaningful goal. So, and when you, you know, when you get tempted to 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 click through the Instagram, you you, you can remember, hold on a minute, the, the big picture here. This this is not compatible. So I'm I'm going to postpone that for an hour before I do that. So it's a question of embedding small smaller resolutions about specific things like doing less Instagram in a bigger purpose like uh, some career change or or, or 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 plan you have for your future. Yeah, so it's it's uh, talking about what you're going to gain in a way, not what you're going to lose, and yeah. and then putting that gain in, in something bigger than yourself if if possible. But but maybe it's just to gain health or i mean michelle in, in sport obviously and it's very interesting what ian said there i think about uh fantasy and imagination being important because we're often told not to daydream and, and what i heard ian say was uh, no daydream but then take action but you you know you need the the two and i know talking to to athletes uh, I, I remember talking to a fellow student who had gold medals olympic gold medals in two different disciplines and what seemed to be the difference between him and the rest of us was he spent a lot of time thinking about standing on the winner's podium, the gold medal being put around his neck, that that, that was what drove him on. I mean, what's your experience uh, uh, coaching and, and being coached at, at a very high level in, in sports? Yeah, it's definitely a, a mindset. Um, you know, our top athletes would certainly, if they're exercising or they're out for a run or they're doing their training session, they're very focused on what their body is doing at that time um you know is their heart rate increasing are they working with the right load um you know are they they're very focused on their whole physiological um experience and i think there's something to learn in that because you know for ordinary people um when we're thinking as as ian is talking about some goals and how we're going to what are we going to do for the new year? I mean, there's probably plenty of people listening in that are trying to figure out what are their new year resolutions. And I think a good tip is actually to get into a physical activity of some sort, whether it's walking, cycling, running, swimming, and it 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 generates um, energy within your body, but also your brain works well in that state. So it's a really good chance and a good opportunity to think about those goals while you're doing some exercise. Um, and it it gives a bit of focus as well to to what you're doing. Um, and I think it's a really good, you know, if we're trying to solve problems as well and you're trying to figure out, well, what can I do or how can I do it? Getting your body into a physical active state is a really good time to maybe Ian will back this up with some science. But I, I know for myself and for other people, it's a really good time to um, help understand complex issues and try and work things out and maybe set some of those goals for the new year. But certainly high performance athletes are are in a mindset, you know, that they've trained for and they've 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 um, developed that over time um, so that they're in a state of, you know, very focused energy, very focused um, physical state and mental state at that time. And they have their goals very much determined in advance. But many people don't. Many people don't have goals and they don't know what to do or how to set them. Um, well, let's stick with that idea, Michelle, because you you are kind of responsible for a gym and a swimming pool and, and many different kind of sporting tracks. So people presumably in first year wander into the gym and think, I want that energy. I want the kind of feeling of goodness that comes from sport. Back in my school, I could only play rugby or 
GAA, you know, now I, I know I can do what I actually want rather than what the school wants me to do. How how can people, uh, what what tips would you give to people to, to, to select a sport that they should, that they can do? I mean, how, how should one set about doing that? Well, the first thing I would advise is do something you like. Um, you know, if you don't like running, don't run. <laughs> you know, there's no point in doing that. Find something that you like or find a friend um, that will tag along with you and meet a friend in the gym or go for a swim or go for a walk. Find something that you used to enjoy that you you know that you will like. Also, if if you're not sure, you know, come and speak to, particularly in the sports facilities in Trinity, we can help you. We have um, staff there that can help advise you on what activity would be most suited for you. So come and speak to somebody and um, contact us. Um, but also, I think it's important that if you, even if you like music, you know, you can still find some music that you like that will motivate you while you walk or while you exercise and um, find do things that you enjoy um, and get yourself into um, an environment where there's other people that enjoy that same activity. We've over 50 sports clubs. There's, there's something for everybody in in Trinity Sport. You know, we've, we can provide lots of activities and opportunities, but making yeah. that first step can be hard. Um, and I think it helps if you if you do it with somebody. Ian, Michelle said there, find a friend. I, I think the, the kind of the jargon is accountability partner, isn't it, in, in, in kind of doing things. How important is that in, in, in your view? It makes things much easier. You're much less likely to, to, to call off or to say, ah, I can't be bothered if you've, you know, it's, it's just that extra barrier if you've got a friend who's in it with you. And also there's the, you know, the, the companionship and the, the sense of going through it. It was... But, but what Michelle said is absolutely correct about the brain. Um, exercise, uh, aerobic exercise, actually improves memory because of its effects on the hippocampus. It lifts your mood. It, um, it, it really has very, very positive effects on the brain. And every single student should have a physical exercise regime for themselves. And so the second thing to say um, You're saying that very emphatically. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Sounds like a message you really want people oh, to come I, away from. Yep. Yep. It, so there's <laughs> the other thing, you know, all students, you're, you're, you know, you're at a critical time in your life when your brain is incredibly plastic. It's hugely shaped by your experience. That's why the university you go to has such a profound effect on your whole life. This critical period of 18 to 22, and of course there are mature students as well, but this critical period, your brain is not fully wired up. Your frontal lobes are not wired up. So what you do with your brain during this four years or is just incredibly important and shapes your whole life. Physical exercise is a critical part of that. Of course, all your learning that you're going undergoing in your course is physically shaping your brain. Um, but also your emotional life. And, and as Johanna will no doubt say, the alcohol and drugs that you may or may not take have a huge effect on that. So you, you have an incredible opportunity to create a brain in this four-year experience that is of immense value to the world and to yourself. And, and so the, the, the physical exercise is critical for that. Everyone should have some kind of activity or sport and I recommend you go to, to, to Michelle's team and get one. But the, what I would say just about that in relation to resolutions is this. We, 
getting to like something, we have to learn to like something. So you might say, well, what would you like doing? Would you like kayaking or would you like scuba diving or would you like boxing? You don't really know whether you like something until you've done it several times. And sometimes it takes a while to get into it for your brain's reward network, the feel good system to start activating in relation to that new activity. So there's that critical period when you start doing a new activity where you have to use willpower, but willpower is not a single thing, it's a set of habits. You have to use willpower, including having a buddy, including pre-commitment, um, uh, to get you through the phase so you can see whether you like something. And then then once you get liking something, you're more likely to keep, keep, keep doing it. This idea of it, the plasticity of the brain, especially among young people. I, I was wondering about this actually before the program. I was thinking, thinking about the topic. It does it make it easier or more difficult to to change and to to make resolutions? I mean, it would seem that it would be easier to be if you're 20 than if you're 40 or 60 to to change. Is that what the science tells us, Ian? Yes, young, young, the, the, the younger brains learn more readily, but um, younger brains also have, or younger minds have, have certain disadvantages as well, because sometimes you're, um, you, you haven't quite settled into a, a, a view of yourself that you're comfortable with, um, a kind of, you know, a kind of narrative for your own life. And so sometimes people can feel a bit lost or maybe drifting a bit or, or not quite sure where they should go. And that uncertainty can can mean that it's harder to, to follow resolutions. It's easier to be distracted into various things. So, so there are costs and benefits of the young brain. But yes, the basic learning is, is, is much better. And that's why it's much easier to, to study, you know, and to, to learn new stuff uh, in, 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 you know, in 18 to 22 uh, or, or in your 20s than it is in your 60s, but you can still learn in your 60s. It just takes longer. So so one of the messages here is really one should front load one's resolutions, one should try and kind of develop good habits uh, if one is young now rather than, say, waiting a few years because it, it won't get easier. Uh, the brain is just finds it that bit easier to do now. Is that? Is that, is that yeah, yeah there's, more, there's more opportunities to go in the direction to, to shape your brain and, and therefore your life <laughs> now. There are more opportunities. There are always opportunities at any sure. age, yep. but it's, it's, it's easier now. And there's this enormous opportunity of being in a community, an amazing institution like Trinity, having an incredible sports and uh, you know facility like Michelle runs, having incredible, I mean, wonderful people around. It's just... It's just such an opportunity, but um, some you know you still get some students who feel a bit lost, feel a bit demotivated, feel a bit maybe not connected with others. All of these things are fixable, <laughs> and uh, resolutions are, are quite an important part of that. Joanna, can we come back to the accountability partner uh, idea for a second? Because I'm I'm curious how that might work with the more serious addictions that, that you've researched and studied? Because I can see how, you know, if I want to jog every morning, it, it would help if I had someone to jog with because I meet them, I don't want to let them down and all that kind of thing. But, um, it, 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 yeah, how, how does it work with with 
more serious addictions? Well, I think, I mean, addiction is one of those areas, I suppose, for a long time, you know, the the idea of the fellowships with NA and AA and all of those uh, mutual aid based things. We've learned that having a peer um, who can bring us along the journey, um, having somebody that Ian says is, you know, you're accountable to, is going to pull you off if you're off track and you enter into the relationship in that way. But what's really key with peer driven models and and in my group, we're trying to develop a sustainable model of what's known as recovery coaching. And it is exactly that coaching somebody through a process, in this case, recovery from uh, drugs. But what we know works um, down to the science is having somebody that will hold you accountable but having someone that might be two, three steps along the road further than you, that is modeling that change. Because often our willpower dwindles and, you know, it's very hard to get out of bed at five in the morning when you've decided to run, you know, a half marathon or so it's about being able to see that. And I think both Ian and Michelle talked about two things that are really, really important. And I think it's key at this time of year. And those two things are vision and hope. And I think when we're entering into a new year, whatever happens to us in our brain and our environment, we're all geared up for that change. So I would say to people to capitalize on that, build a vision because everyone's talking about the new year and the plans for the new year. Um, Get a buddy, absolutely. And um, that level of hope is really what's going to drive people on. But for me, the most important part of the peer led piece is that role modeling that ability to see that it is possible and I can do that. And Ian is absolutely right. We're not always great at the things we want to do. But if we can see someone that shares a background with us or came from the same school or, you know, uh, place that you grew up and you have that relative kind of thing with them, that will egg you on and spur you on and sustain you in that pathway. Are there there any other techniques when you want to reduce rather than cut out so I'm, I'm thinking of myself yeah. I'm my only addiction really is coffee um, and I drink too much coffee and I'd like to you know one reads again and again that one or two cups is actually better than no coffee so it's a kind of a hard one to I want to reduce it but I don't want to cut it out how might I um, how might I approach that rather minor problem you want me to take that yeah, if, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Yeah. So a key part of any change can be the reducing of something or the, the lesser of the harm. And I guess it's just about building strategies that Ian talked about earlier on. Like if you have two cups of coffee in the morning to try and space them out so that you're not, you know, craving one later on, reduce, uh, maybe implement a, another soft, you know, a drink that you kind of like that isn't caffeinated in the middle of it. Um reward yourself you know do something good and then have the cup of coffee so at least you know it's tied to a motivational piece but ultimately it is about breaking the time between the thing that you're trying to consume in you might be better at this <laughs> no that's the, what you said is absolutely right um joanna and, and it goes back to uh, what michelle was saying as well about goals so um goals are uh, incredibly, um, you, you couldn't be an elite athlete or, 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 or even a good athlete without having very, very good control over your mind, particularly your attention. 
because what you pay attention to determines what you experience in terms of emotions. And what a goal does is it focuses your attention um, and stops your and reduces your mind just going walkabout. Because a wandering mind, if fantasy is fine if you want to let your mind wander. But when you don't want to let your mind wander, like when you're trying to study or trying to have a conversation with someone and your mind's wandering, probably means your mind's going to wander to something negative, negative thoughts or, or anxieties. And that drags your mood down and makes it harder to focus. And when, you, when you're not focusing, you're very hard to, to, to keep your resolutions. And you'll tend to kind of wander to some negative memory or negative thought. And you'll say, ah, oh, I can't be bothered. You, you, you know, I'm, I'm not going to bother going there. We all know people like that who have just. Um, so what, what the, the and the problem is the anxiety that surrounds that. Um, we know from research across the world that anxious people do less stuff. They just they take less action. They do less stuff. Why? Because anxiety prompts you to avoid. It's an avoidance. You're anticipating negative things, so you do less stuff. You withdraw, including withdrawing from resolutions, including withdrawing from finding a buddy, including withdrawing from going down and asking Michelle's staff what I'm going to do. So forming goals, and this, these goals can, can start with just small goals, like, for instance, uh, okay, I'm finding myself wired <laughs> mid-afternoon or, or, you know, after lunch. One of my sub goals is to actually drink less coffee. Okay, so I'm going to start recording just in, the, in my diary or, or or in my phone whenever I have a coffee, so I know how much I'm having. Okay, that's probably an important thing, isn't it, for many things to record? To, you have to record it because yeah. there, there you have it, and you say, okay, um, now, uh, okay, my what's my goal? Okay, I'm going to reduce. I'm going to knock off one coffee a day, one coffee a day. That's all. And, I'm and the thing is, if you then reduce your coffees from, I don't know, four to three or five to four, and you say, and you've recorded, you say, oh, that week, that's great. I was down to four coffees. And yeah, I noticed I was slightly less wired. Achieving that goal will give you a little sense of satisfaction. That's actually, you can image it in the brain, in the brain reward network. It'll lift your mood slightly, lower your anxiety slightly, give you that sense of confidence and make it more likely. Accentuate so the positive, uh, yeah. slowly reduce and kind of observe yourself to, to see and record what you're doing. So you have to you record it. You correlate, have to, see the, correlation. The, goal the goal has to be specific. Michelle was saying earlier about athletes when they're going out. They're, they're not, I'm imagining, Michelle, most athletes are not going out thinking of themselves with a gold medal on the podium. What they're thinking of is, okay, my goal for this session is to keep my heart rate at a certain level. And they get and and over the next half an hour, and you know at the end of that hour or half hour, they say, "Oh, that was good. I achieved my heart rate goal, or or my other physical sense, or my weight goal, or whatever." And that has exactly the same effect of achieving the goal of cutting down one cup of coffee. It gives you that sense of satisfaction, and that's why you know engaging in physical um, sport and you know of this kind. It's incredibly good for you emotionally, not just physically. It's not just your brain and your memory systems that benefit. It's your ability to control your attention. And if you can control your attention, you'll be control. You'll be have better control over your emotional state. 
you'll be less vulnerable. You'll feel less at the mercy of your swings of anxiety or your drops of mood. Um, so that so the psychological benefits of sport are, are as great, maybe even greater than the physiological effects on the brain and body. There's a lot to unpack here and, and there are a lot of ways we could go. But there, there are two things that I'd like to unpack with you, Ian. One is you, you talk quite a lot about anxiety and anxiety is clearly uh, almost an epidemic at the moment. It's hard for people like me to know how much it's just new labeling. and It's always been there and how much it's part of it. And we, we, we're obviously speaking in the middle of a, a pandemic. So so there are more reasons than normal to be anxious. But perhaps before we maybe think about how one might make a resolution around anxiety, could we talk about with all the research that you've done and the many books that you've written, do you think there's a kind of a hierarchy of resolutions? Let's say somebody listening to this and they weren't particularly planning on making a resolution. Now they're thinking, oh yeah, maybe I should use the turn of the year to, to, to make a few changes. And you, you spoke very passionately about sport being a kind of a, a key thing that everybody should do sport. But what are the other things do you think? What's What are the other things that you might be tempted to say everybody should should think about yeah i i'd say physical exercise rather i mean sports yeah. not for everyone physical, physical exercise is for everyone yeah. I mean, it's just critical um and we know now that um engaging midlife activity physical activity has huge effects on your brain later in life and you know as a protector against uh, dementia and all sorts of things but no not that you, not that our listeners are going to be thinking about that much about that now but but the other the other thing that people everyone 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 should do and we should really be teaching this as much as we're teaching reading and writing in school is to understand and have at their disposal some very simple methods for feeling in control of your own emotions so there's a basic literacy about the mind there's a lot of stuff that's not rocket science you can control your uh, emotions uh, and prevent a kind of some of the vicious cycles that can happen so if you take anxiety just for example if people just learn to breathe if you're feeling anxious if you just breathe into the count of four and out to the count of six. And if you learn to do that as a habit, just to, when you're, if you're feeling anxious or panicky, if you just take 30 seconds, even in the middle of your class or in the middle of the pub with your friends, just go in for four. And you breathe out for longer than you breathe in. That has a profound physiological effect via the vagus nerve up to the a little part of your brain called the locus ceruleus. That affects how much noradrenaline is in your brain at that moment. So you can control the chemistry of your brain much more precisely than any drug can using your breath if you learn to use it. And that's one reason things like swimming and different kinds of sports, because they often, you have to learn to breathe well to do them, but you don't have to do sport to learn to do this. The breathing is just one example, and we've we've studied the effects of breathing on the brain in the scanner in the Lloyd Building next to the sports center. So we know this is good science. Um, you know, you you you, it's, and there are many other techniques, including setting goals for yourself, including learning to control your attention. So, and, and I would strongly advocate for for finding an app 
mindfulness app or a meditation app or doing a mindfulness course or a meditation course or a yoga course. All of these are brilliant ways of learning to control, essentially learning to control your attention. To the extent that you can learn to control your attention, you can control your emotions and to a large extent have influenced the physiology of, of your body. So I would say that just as important as a physical exercise is learning to become a pilot of your own uh, uh, of your own brain, of, of, of your own attention, essentially, because, you know, we have the most complex entity in the known universe between our ears, the human brain. There's nothing in the universe as complicated as that. If it was Amazon, if we got it delivered by Amazon, there would be a huge user manual with it. And and there would be courses, there would be, you know, be like, you look at Excel, you, you know, you can have intermediate, basic and advanced users of Excel. People charge you to go to courses to run Excel. Excel is trivial compared to the human brain, but we have no, we have no real courses. We don't get a user manual for you. Yet there are some very, very simple things like the breathing that you can do to help orchestrate and control and get the best out of this incredible organ. And of course, uh, to go to Johanna's point, you know, drugs and too much alcohol really, sub, you know, undercut our ability to become, to get the enormous uh, benefits of, of, of controlling our attention and, and using our brain in the best way. I love that expression to be a pilot of your own attention and a pilot of your own emotions. Michelle, in, in, in the sports centre, there, there are plenty of courses around this time of year, every year, aren't there, to, to do this? I mean, in, you, you've watched people going in and out. Where, where, do they, uh, where do they have the biggest smiles coming out? Is it Pilates? Is it yoga? Is it... Um, Kind of breathing what 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 works what have you observed well, that's a good question where's the biggest smiles um i think the biggest smile comes from people who have enjoyed their session um you know exercise certainly does release a lot of really good endorphins into the body um the feel good factor um you'll never regret doing physical activity that's the the way i would look at it and from what we can see whether they're involved whether the students who are involved in our clubs, in a session on their own in the gym or in the pool, you'll never regret a physical activity session because it makes you feel good. Um, and I think that's the think important, important factor. To, 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 to meld the two, I suppose, kind of the, the, the gentler forms of exercise, yeah. such as yoga, yeah. which aren't really exercise, they're more about what Ian was talking about there, and then maybe <clears> wait <throat> something to, you know, to, to be both, mentally mentally kind of relaxed and then physically yeah well it, it depends on what you like doing as well as Ian said earlier you know you have to find something that you like and um, that you you know that you'll enjoy and there's lots of different types of classes and courses that you can join now um, and have a go at something and have a try um, and you know you'll find something we we promise you that much you'll find something that you will enjoy and you will like um and i think you know if you can if you can get a balance of different exercises you know or different sessions whether it's being in a club um, doing an adventure activity or a water-based activity you know if you do a mix of different things that's really good and really healthy for you um instead of focused on just the one physical activity, the same exercise over and over again is not really, um, you know, a, a balanced approach would be better to try different things. 
um, and mix it up a little bit. It keeps you active, you know, keeps you physically and mentally active. Um, and I think, you know, it's important that we have to remember that our brains live in our bodies, you know, our bodies, they're interconnected, you know, that's all your healthy mind is your healthy body as well. So I think we have to treat our, our whole bodies as, as something that we, we want to, I guess, develop and nurture for the future as well um, and maintain a healthy lifestyle. So you don't have to be doing mad physical activity. You can do a little bit of physical activity. Um, which is really important and, and something that Ian mentioned earlier about, you know, measuring it and monitoring your activities as well. Most of our students have uh, smartwatches or apps or phones that can monitor their workouts, how long they work out for and setting those goals and using those um, tracking devices um, to monitor your progress is really a good way to keep an eye on how you're doing. Yeah, that's a very uh, interesting topic. When when Ian mentioned apps and he was talking around mindfulness, uh, the, the listeners won't know, but but I saw both you, Michelle and Joanna, you both nodded rigorously. And I was slightly surprised because uh, I, I suppose I have this idea that one should uh, basically reduce one's phone usage. But it it does seem that a lot of people use technology now to to kind of to keep themselves, to measure themselves at the, the 10,000 steps, that kind of thing. Joanna, have you have you seen um, uh, apps working in 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 this area? And are there any that you might want to recommend, or does anyone else want to recommend any? Yeah, I mean, I think I I I am a big believer in in mindfulness, and I think what's made mindfulness most accessible to all of us has been the apps that are available, and there are some uh, really good ones. Um, but and just to address a different issue that you, you mentioned earlier on about the reduction of the Instagram um, versus the then, you know, what's prescribing apps for people. And I think the difference is what you're getting from it. So when you're looking at reducing the the use of Instagram, it's because you've decided it's no longer good for you. You're not getting something from it. And I think what we're trying to do is to show people how you can connect with something that will be beneficial and, and will help you achieve your goal. So I suppose that's the difference with the with the um, the use of technology and, and, and where I'd get into kind of telling people to kind of use that. And yeah, it is about getting off your phone and connecting. But sometimes and particularly in the middle of a pandemic, technology is a, a connection to community as well. So it's a double-edged sword when it's just got to use it responsibly. Ian, I think you want to come in here. It's about, sorry, Ian, but it's just about going back to what it is that you're trying to achieve with that, with the uh, instrument or digital device. But it's like money, it's neutral, it's what you what you do. Ian, sorry. Yeah, te technology isn't inherently bad. The, <clears throat> the bad thing about um, Instagram and other social medias is they've been designed to build habits where your attention is under the control of them, not under the control of yourself. So the difference between, excuse me, <clears throat> the difference between um, deliberately sitting down and saying, I'm going to listen to this um, mindfulness app for 10 minutes or 20 minutes, mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're, you're in charge. And it doesn't have that um, the little mini um, quasi-addictive effect, the, the constant scrolling, the constant checking, where you're actually, you're actually, I'm afraid to say, your, your, your brain has been hacked 
by a programmer who has studied the, uh, the science of reinforcement psychology. We know from D.F. Skinner, you're essentially like a, you know, like a rat in a, and I speak to myself here, we're, we're, we're captured like a rat being reinforced or a pigeon or behaviors being shaped by a particular reinforcement schedule. That's unfortunately the way many of the the apps that feel compulsive to us work. That's totally different if we uh, set our goal for uh, an app that's monitoring our physical exercise and we set our goal and we achieve that goal. That That's an, an entirely positive use of, of technology and won't, won't be addictive similarly for the mindfulness app. Unfortunately, we've kind of come to the end of our end of our time, and and I wonder, could we finish off by by me asking an indiscreet question? But I'm curious whether any of you have a have a resolution uh, that you're happy that you made over the years that 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 has worked out for you, either on New Year's Day or or any other time of the year. Uh, Michelle. Well, thanks for putting me first. <laughs> well, I'll put myself first. Um, giving up smoking was by far the best thing I've ever done, and I'm delighted that I. Oh, made jeepers! I, I I never smoked, Tom, so I I don't um I I don't commit to that one. But um for me, it's always about physical activity, and I think pre-pandemic um I used to make an effort to have at least two or three training sessions, you know, a, a week. But during the pandemic, I. I said, no, that's not enough because we were doing a lot more sitting and less walking and sprinting around the campus. Um, so I committed to doing some physical activity every single day. And um, I've kept that. And as hard as it has been, I've just squeezed it in somewhere, you know, even if it's um, a, a quick sprint to the shop or something. Um, I would do make sure that I would do some physical activity every single day. And that for me was my space, my time. Um, I have a busy life with family and all of that. So um, it was nobody else got in on that time. It was just me. And I committed to that at least at least 30 minutes a day. Um, nobody else annoying me. <laughs> um, let's work so far. And your body. Joanna, well, any any resolutions you happy to have made? Yeah, happy to make the meditation. So what I did was I was looking at my phone too much and I was a bit of a slave to my email. I kind of I always started my day with looking at my email. So I did two things. I decided to schedule time to look at emails and to start my morning with meditation. And it's just it's been a game changer. Do you mind my asking how often do you look at emails? Is it do you batch it into two or three sessions or, or more or fewer or? depending on the time of year but i think as a general rule maybe twice a day and i have to hold my hand up before i look so you know gracious around this it's quite a new habit but it's one that's really working for me mm. funny i've done the same and it works it works hugely ian finally yeah i i mine's very mundane i i so i had to lose a couple of kilograms and i did and then in covid i picked them up again so i have to Reinstate, reinstate that for January. Well, it's only done that way, but uh, but I'm sure you know you know best. That's always the way. Listen, thank you all three of you, Joanna Ivers, Ian Robertson, Shell Tanner. Thank you very much for for taking part in this uh, uh, Trinity College Dublin talks. Uh, Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, this podcast was produced by by Katie Byrne and Kevin Nocton. And as I say, wish you all a Happy New Year. Goodbye.